0: and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started.
1: My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we want you, the listener, to feel is if you are sitting in on a private mastermind conversation where two people get inspired and motivated by what the other says. You may have some of those, oh, that reminds me type moments. You may hear some ambiance in the background as we typically do these for my sumptuous studio here in Las Vegas, which happens to be my balcony. I urge you to have your pad of paper and two pens ready to capture those aha moments that will naturally arise and give you the slight edge is you optimize to serve from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Today, we are speaking about one of my own brilliance and passion points and one of my own sweet spots. It's about the challenge of starting a company from scratch and being the sole founder. I've been through this journey. Our listeners have been through this journey. Hundreds of our guests since 2013 have been through this journey. It's one of the areas where my business consulting firm optimizes and centers. So starting a company from scratch and being the sole founder. To guide us on what's going to be a very unique and interesting journey today, we have Lizzie Horvitz. Let me tell you a little bit about her. I'm going to give you the brief overview, and then she's going to tell you more detail in just a moment. So Lizzie has been passionate about sustainability since the age of 16 when she lived off the grid, already very interesting to me. And this is where she gained insights about solutions to climate change before fully understanding the problem. And where she is now is she is the chief, excuse me, uh, she uh, is involved with an organization known as Finch and the purpose of Finch is it's a tool that educates people on the ins and outs of sustainability by turning complex scientific facts into simple actionable insights. So I am very excited to have her here today. Lizzie Horvitz come on in the weather's fine.
2: Thank you so much Adam it's it's a thrill to be here.
1: Heck yeah. So what we want to do here, and this is what we do with all of our guests, is I gave a brief snippet of your official biography, and already it's so impressive. I'm not sure if I'm worthy to be here, and it's my show. So tell <laughs> us a bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving from your intersection of your inter- of your brilliance and your passion, making a difference for your community, market, and audience.
2: Absolutely. Well, as you mentioned, I had a unique experience when I was 16, where I really learned about climate change for the first time and fell in love with finding solutions to it. And so uh, really dedicated my career towards that exact thing. Um, I ended up getting my MBA and my Master of Environmental Management from Yale focused on what large companies can do to reduce their carbon footprint. That took me to Unilever, where I worked on their supply chain team and then on their sustainability team on cool brands like Ben & Jerry's Ice Cream, Dove Soap, Axe Body Spray, um, and figured out how a massive company like Unilever could, could reduce their footprint. While I was there, something interesting started happening in my personal life where I began to get a ton of questions from family and friends about how they could reduce their own footprint. So everything from, I just had a baby, Uh, which diaper should I be buying to what is this deodorant doing in my shampoo? And I couldn't find any solid place to get that information. There was either, you know, academic papers, which are not meant for normal people to read, or these bloggers that are saying things like eco-friendly, all natural, not really based in any type of data. And so I started a newsletter aiming to distill this type of information. And meanwhile, I left Unilever and started to, um, I joined a startup as chief operating officer based at a company in Southeast Asia. And just fell in love with entrepreneurship, taking a company from inception to scale, et cetera. And right at the beginning of COVID, I realized that this newsletter I had been doing on the side for the past several years um, could really become a full-time job. And so that's how Finch was born.
1: Wow. And that's really great. And we're going to get more into that. There is one thing that I have discovered, and I believe that this is a message you actually align with, because we're talking about sustainability. Stop buying plastic skeletons for Halloween because it's terrible for the environment. Locally sourced, all natural skeletons are much more environmentally friendly, not to mention eventually biodegradable.
2: Exactly. We completely (laughs) agree. And we actually put, we put that on an Instagram a couple of months ago. Um, We were all about telling people how to, how to be more sustainable on Halloween, but that was by far our favorite trip. Just our favorite tip. Just get real, real dead people.
1: Yeah, that's perfect. I mean, it, because they were designed to be biodegradable. Ashes okay. to ashes, dust to dust.
2: <laughs> Completely. We're on the same yeah. page. All
1: right. So solve a riddle for me here. I was in San Diego a couple of years ago and was at a restaurant and requested a, a glass of ice water. So I was told, and, I, and, and going along with that, I requested a real straw, not one of those flimsy paper straws. I wanted a real straw that conveyed real amounts of water and wouldn't wilt on me after 10 minutes. So I was told, no, we don't have plastic straws. Uh, you're going to have to have a paper straw. And when they brought the water out to me, they served it to me in a plastic bottle. Oh my gosh. Okay. Solve that one for me because I, everybody who was sitting me with me at the table saw what was about to happen. And they held me back and said, let's just have a pleasant afternoon.
2: (laughs) You know, this is one of my pet peeves. And it's such an interesting study in, um, I don't know what, maybe psychology or anthropology or something. The straw phenomenon has really taken over. And it's almost as if you say, you've just learned about how pigs are treated um, before they're slaughtered. And you say, I'm not eating any more BLTs, but I'll have I'll have bacon in the morning and pork at night and all these different things. It's like that the straw is such a tiny, tiny percentage of the problem. And it actually is oftentimes we will tell you, um, I'm about to shock some people. I think oftentimes it's actually better to get a plastic straw than it is to get a metal straw or another alternative for a variety of reasons. Um, One example is, you know, when you are, Seeing that awful picture of the turtle with the straw up its nose, that makes me as sad as the next person, but the chances of that straw ending up in the ocean are, I think, one in seven, whereas the chances that a metal straw being made emitted an insane amount of carbon dioxide um, is 100%, right? And so you actually have to use that metal straw lots and lots of times, I don't have the exact number, um, to make up for that carbon footprint, whereas the plastic straw sometimes is is the best option. So um, I think the straw situation is really interesting. I think the, particularly the reason we have this paper straw problem is because almost overnight I, I related actually, this was, it's funny you bring this up cause this was our first, um, our first newsletter uh, topic which was why Kim Kardashian is helping save the turtles. Kim Kardashian posted a picture about plastic straws and I, I attribute that Instagram post to the reason this spread like wildfire. Um, right. And you know, it was one example that she could have used out of millions, and people like straw manufacturers weren't able to, to work quickly enough to find alternatives that did not disintegrate in your hands, as you say.
1: Right. Well, here's my thought on it. Number one, plastic straws can be rewashed. I have about 10 plastic straws here at my apartment, and they're all over a year old. Uh-huh. Did you know that if you rinse them out as soon as you use them and then wash them with the rest of your dishes, that they stay clean?
2: I actually didn't know that. I've never tried to do Oh
1: that. my goodness. Yes. It's particularly if you have those really thick straws, like the ones used for smoothies, you can run a cloth through it and actually clean it really good. It's amazing. Yeah. Furthermore, furthermore, and this is something else we see, particularly in the entrepreneurial space, we hear about how we have to be ruthless about leveraging our time. So I did a little social experiment. I had about four containers of that Method brand laundry detergent, the beach sage variety that my cats really love to loll in when I use it to wash the blankets. And I had four of these containers that were empty. So I did an experiment that if I stood them upside down on their caps, that there was still enough detergent in each one of them to give me four more loads. Oh my goodness. Turn, it turned out that was the case. I posted a picture of this on my social media and I got a mixture of comments on it. Some of whom were saying, yeah, that's really cool that you saved the bottles, flipped them upside down because just off residue, there's that one extra cap that if you allow it to drip, you'll get. So you'll get more out of that investment. And then we hear from those that say, oh, come on. What kind of penny pincher are you that you're spending time on this crap? I thought you were a success minded entrepreneur. Okay, oh can't I okay, can't I do both? Because how because how long does it take to stand some bottles on your caps? Like you literally flip it upside down and stand it and then walk away and do something else.
2: Also, that's the first that's the first rule of being an entrepreneur is you have to be scrappy and creative and and do things that um, are out of the box sometimes.
1: Yeah. In addition, I wash the bottles. They have other uses, believe it or not.
2: Yeah, of course. That's cool.
1: So, yeah, so what I love about what you're doing here is how you are creating a new positioning as far as the conversation about climate change and about sustainability, particularly as we're getting into a place where we have supply chain issues, where we have finite resources. And I don't think there's really anybody who disagrees that it's important to leave the planet that we're on In good shape for our descendants, even my friends who are all in favor of using coal, are in favor of the clean coal, and their thought is, since we have it, and we don't urgently need it, let's be scientific about it and find ways to use it in ways that are ecologically friendly.
2: Right, I um. I I cannot agree with, I I don't, I have to say, I don't know if clean coal is an actual, I think that might be a misnomer because I think coal is pretty detrimental, but I do completely agree that, you know, it's so interesting to me that everything has become so politicized because I can't imagine any human being or species being against clean water, clean air, um, and, you know, protecting the amazing flora and fauna on our planet. And so... For us, we're excited to see a future where we we circle back to that, and I think I think we're coming upon a precipice where um, that's happening a bit more, and people realize that climate change is actually happening, and and that we have something to do with it. Um, yeah. But it's it's been a frustrating part of my work that people say, "Well, what are the you know what are the economic implications?" It's like it doesn't matter what the economic implications are if people can't breathe outside or can't see. Right. The, right so it's tricky
1: right right and, and as far as this politic politicization of it and i'm not even pronouncing that that name right i believe it's so false and it's driven by a bought and paid for narrative that's meant to divide people as i've heard more than once from friends of mine who have been accused of being anti-environment or climate change deniers or everything else they'll say hey look pal uh, i don't care what CNN or Fox news tells you. The fact is the first two syllables in the word conservative or conserve.
2: Exactly. Yeah,
0: right?
2: <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. So that is, you know, I think what people still have to wrap their heads around is whatever costs we're spending right now, um, is still less expensive than cleaning up the disaster that will happen if, if we don't try to avoid it now.
1: Right, right. So you are, you are speaking a very big message from a microphone or a megaphone that at least on the surface may appear to some to be not all that big. After all, we're speaking about the idea of a comp- starting a company from scratch and being the sole founder. And that's really what I want to discuss with you today. But I did want to kick back and forth some of my ideas about this conservation stuff that I find just mind boggling. So what you're doing, she has been tried several times before. So tell me, why is it that Lizzie Horvitz is going to be the one who succeeds?
2: That's one of my favorite questions. And I've been getting that a lot recently. Um, I think it's for a couple of reasons. The first is for, I mean, obviously it goes without saying, I completely agree. If you look at when I first started thinking of this idea in March of 2020, you know, formally going off and starting this company, I thought you know, oh my gosh, I can't believe how smart I am. This is the most brilliant idea ever. I can't believe nobody's done this before. And then of course I did significant amounts of research and realized, oh wait, this has been tried and failed numerous times. I think the most important reason why this hasn't, been successful. And just to be clear, what Finch is trying to do is become the nerd wallet for personal finance. What nerd wallet does for personal finance, Finch is trying to do that with sustainability. So when I say this hasn't been done before, I mean a one-stop shop place where any consumer can go to find relevant um, digestible information that's actually based in data and in science. And so I think the first reason why it hasn't is purely timing. I think the world was not ready for a solution like this until very, very recently. I think Gen Z has a lot to do with it. Gen Z is becoming increasingly responsible for um, spending money. And they, a Deloitte study just came out that said that they, they care as a, as a demographic, they care about environmental issues more than any other issue facing the world right now. And so when you have this rising group of a lot of people who are willing to take this into their own hands, companies are not going to be able to get away very much farther with not being transparent and not, um, and, and not doing the right thing. And so I think timing, had I started this five years ago, I'm sure that it would have failed as well. And I think we're striking while the iron is hot, which is mostly luck. I think the other factor is, um, I do have to say, I think there's founder market fit. I think that climate change is a very sexy topic that a lot of people are trying to get into right now. And I am so for it. I think it's we need as many people as possible. Um, so I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but I do think that a lot of people are trying to enter this space and start companies and they actually have no experience in sustainability. And that's really tough because you need to understand the history and where we've come from to understand where the world is moving and how we're all going to, to, to go forward. And so when I think about what I've really focused on since I was 16 years old, it's now been, um, almost 20 years, um, 16, 18 years. I'm bad at math today, but it's been 18 years. So I think that that is, um, that helps a lot that I I've understood, you know, how, how macro and micro forces have, have changed in order to, to make a really good founder market fit.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think that with this whole thing of climate change and this false notion of labeling people climate change deniers, for instance, because they don't subscribe to one specific theory or one specific thing about it. Here's my thought, Lizzie, and I want to get your thoughts on this, actually, because I say this all the time. The moment I hear the phrase settled silent, settled science, I see the word totalitarianism in flashing neon lights. See, I wasn't very good at science in school. But one thing I actually did understand was the scientific method and how it involves the testing of hypotheses, the development of theories. And even when you have what you believe to be the answer, you then continue to test it against new hypotheses. That's, how, that's why we don't give babies thalidomide anymore. That's why we don't uh, recommend have your doctor recommend you smoke cigarettes which are things that happen within our parents lifetimes by the way and it's why we don't see advertisements just gushing about the benefits of putting asbestos in your home which is another thing that existed within our parents lifetimes so i also understand that climate change is going to happen regardless of people when the climate change incident that happened it wiped out the dinosaurs depending on which theory you believe in Is about a ninety-five percent chance humans had nothing to do with that because we probably weren't there. So you can believe in it, and I also believe it's okay to continue to explore what it really means because we'll find the solutions much more efficiently that way.
2: Yeah, I I completely hear you. I think what I would say in response to that is. People have every right to, you know, part of the reason I love living in America is because it's a free country and everybody can have a, an opinion on whatever they want. Right. Um, but there is something to be said about the experts in the field. And I think similar to, God forbid, a family member getting cancer, you don't go to a doctor and say, I don't like your diagnosis. I'm going to do the research on my own and, and see if I like it or not. That doesn't happen, right? Yeah. And- Um, you can almost think of any other industry where that does not happen. If you're wondering, um, why your grass is dying outside of your house, you're going to go to a landscaper or someone who has an expertise in that and ask them for their, um, for their opinion. So I think when 98% of scientists think that something's happening, um, in climate change, it's not really that useful for individuals who have not gone to school. And I'm including myself. I don't have a PhD. This and I'm not a, I'm a scientist.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so I am trusting that those scientists are are telling us um, what they think is the best option. I agree with you that we need to keep testing it and seeing what's updated because we by far don't have all the answers today that we will in ten or fifteen or you know fifty years. But um, I think there's something to be said about trusting what what they say um, with with the with the resources that we have. Today And so that's sort of what we're going after, which is, okay, here are the scientists who are believing in it. Here are the ones who are questioning. um, And, you know, the dinosaur thing, yes, the climate has always been changing. That's absolutely accurate. It has not been changing at this speed. And we know that there is a direct correlation to what we are doing as humans, what our activities are doing to cause this heightened climate change. And if it were stopped, um, understanding what we could do to reverse it. So, um, I think I think it's a yes and. We need to keep keep testing the assumptions, but also yeah. trust those who have dedicated their lives to this.
1: Oh, sure. It would be like if somebody approached me and uh, presumed to educate me on the kindergarten basics of podcasting and they had never even tuned into one before. Yeah, I probably would uh, suggest that they watch and learn for a while and get educated on the subject and then begin asking their questions that will naturally arise through their discovery process. I know there's a difference between the two. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, what are some things you've learned from starting your own company?
2: Ooh, that's such a good question. Um, I'm not even sure where to begin with that. I would mm-hmm. say, um, people
0: are, oh,
2: people are, Willing to help so much more than I would have expected. It's so funny. I just went back to my journal that I was um, writing in every day as I was starting this company, and I have a bunch of pages on, you know, what if nobody wants to work with me, and what if we don't raise any money, and all these what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, so many nerves. Um, and people are here for you, people love supporting. Um, and I think just to remember that you're not alone is something that I, I really did learn. Um, so that's just more of a general kind of optimistic view. I think the other thing that's been interesting is when you're the founder of a company, um, I'm not doing sustainability in my day-to-day, right? That's my background. Um, I barely touch the actual scientific sustainability work, maybe, you know, for an hour a day when I, when I meet with my chief scientist, right. but, Otherwise, I am learning about accounting and investing and series A versus seed and, um, you know, legal documentation. I'm learning about so many different aspects of the world. And so what I've loved is, I mean, there's really, um, there's no part of the company that I'm not involved with and not completely familiar with, which is a great place to be in.
1: Right. And, you know, this is the other thing that I have pointed out so many times is, you don't have to be a scientist yourself to be an expert in this. You also don't have to be an expert to share the information. You can become the portal.
2: Exactly. And I think that's such a good example of how entrepreneurship is so different than, you know, uh, Uh, an opinion on climate change or something like that, because there are a million and one ways to start a company. I don't think two, the same, I don't think two people started a company in the exact same way. And so to know that we have the autonomy to sort of listen to our, it almost is comforting to listen to your gut and to say like, there's no right way to do this. So here's my experience and take it or leave it, or, you know, ask your mentors and then listen to yourself if that's the best decision to move forward with.
1: Yeah. When I, in my early days as an entrepreneur, I had a web development firm and I did the thing where I built a cadre of project managers and assistants and website updaters and developers and designers and everything else. I had all this leverage and virtual teams and reporting structures and everything else. You know what I did with it? What? I threw it away. Oh my goodness. Because it felt like I was basically an order processor and most of my time involved with the business was dealing with one of two issues. It was stuff that made it to me that never should have. And it was clients making deliberate efforts to exclude my organization from our conversations and try and deal with me directly. That's- I was bu- I was building a sustainable leveraged business and that whole thing just wasn't working out. I actually let most of the clients go and kept a few and brought them with me to the next thing I did. And with one exception, because they just retired, uh, all of those clients have stayed with me through all of my business iterations through the auspices of the Business Creators Institute, which is amazing that That's I have amazing. several clients that have been with me for 15 years or longer. Amazing. But I followed the traditional model for outsourcing and not being the sole founder And got so sick of it that I just actually came back from vacation one day and said, I ain't doing this.
2: Totally. Just canceled it.
1: I mean, I I I gave people 60 days notice we were bailing out. So there was more than enough time to wrap up existing projects for them to find new resources or for them to attempt to negotiate me uh, in terms of why they should be one of the eight people to come with me to my next company. But, uh, so I didn't leave anybody hanging and I wasn't, I wouldn't, I wasn't like holding anybody's website hostage or anything like that, but still it was a pretty, it was a pretty definite decision. I got back that second weekend in November, 2008 and that's like, I'm done.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's so interesting. And I think you can, it's a common misconception that just because you don't have any other founders or are outsourcing you can't surround yourself with people who are helping you every step of the way. Um, it's, Oh, just- this is good.
1: This is good. Let's develop this. This is where I was hoping you'd go.
2: Well, so, right. So I think of, um, I think of having a co-founder as having a, getting married, having a husband in yeah. my, I, um, in my situation. And that is, you know, what I love to be married and have a husband, of course, am I willing to get married, um, for the sake of getting married and, and having it possibly be the wrong person, absolutely not, right? And a co-founder is, is literally—it sounds so silly, but it's the it's the best analogy that I can find because it's someone you have to work so closely with, and really, you probably are spending more time with them than a spouse or a significant right. other, right? So um, if that doesn't naturally work, it's not something that should be forced. I I had. Um, I had two co-founder dating experiences. Let's call it where we each, we you know we went down the road of thinking of working together, and we filled out um, some investment firm. I can't think of the name right now. Has a PDF that you can download where you fill out 50 answers and then individually, and then you you compare them with this potential co-founder of yours. Yeah. Um, So we went down that road, we talked about equity splits and and all that good nitty gritty stuff. And it didn't work out either time. One of the times um, he walked away and one of the times I walked away and it is so for the best. And now that I'm almost to, I'll be, it'll be two years in April. um, I'm feeling great about that decision. And um, I think it would have been a very different company had I brought someone on as a co-founder. And then you get to a certain point where, you know, people are coming on the team that are incredibly important and that I trust my life with and love working with, but they're not a co-founder because I've now been starting this for several months. And so that title doesn't really fit anymore. I am the one at the driver's seat and got us to this point. So even though someone else might be taking over driving every once in a while, doesn't mean that they helped get me there.
1: Right. And You know, I have had experiences with joint venture partnerships, a couple of which were absolute disasters. And, uh, you know, you mentioned co-founder dates, which is an interesting term that I have heard before. I have an analogy for this that I've shared many times. I rate a pizza by how it tastes cold for breakfast the next morning.
2: That's an amazing, yeah, that's a great way to rate. For,
1: for our listeners who didn't immediately catch on to it the way you did, when you meet somebody at that networking event, or you're introduced to that person, or you have that sit down with them, you have the euphoria, some of which is literally explained by neuroscience due to the release of chemicals in your brain that cause certain feelings, not dissimilar. From the types of neurochemical reactions you have as a result of sexual intercourse that lead you to a state of euphoria and even love for this person you're talking about doing business with. So as a result of having gotten through two cocktails without getting into any arguments over politics, you've now decided that you are made for each other in terms of doing business together. So you rush into something and then you find out there are major compatibility problems and it ends up badly. Just like a pizza.
2: That's exactly
1: right. The pizza, for me, needs to taste good cold for breakfast in the morning. There have been times where I've ordered a pizza with no intention of having it for dinner. I was going to let it sit in my refrigerator and have it cold for breakfast the next morning. Well, there's nothing better. Yeah, I need to know there's nothing better than that. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So these are, so the point behind that is, will that pizza still be good after the initial heat from being in the oven, the heat of being excited over respectively doing business with this person? What's it going to be like in the cold light of morning? Is it still going to be sustainable? Is it still going to be tasty? Is it still going to be digestible?
2: Exactly. And I think, um, I think along with that, you know, I have, two people on my team who have now been working with me basically since the beginning. And they are, as I say, my ride or die, they are the most amazing employees anybody could ever ask for. And right. I'm truly obsessed with them. And and more often than not, I think of our day to day as the three of us having equal autonomy over Finch. I would consider them on the founding team loosely. Um, but they also don't have the pressure and stress that I do, right. They can yeah. away every moment for them. It is a job that they hopefully love and want to stay at for a long time, but, um, mm-hmm. it's not the same responsibility. And I think that's a mutual conversation that you have, which is, do you even want that type of responsibility or are you happy? Just, um, not just, but, but giving it your all and being, you know, one of the first employees and that's not a bad place to sit either.
1: Yeah, exactly. So as a founder, what are some of the rules that you live by?
2: Oh my gosh, I should have been prepared for this question because it's so good, but I um I, <laughs> what that is right now. I would say, what are some of the rules? I think delegating is the most important thing. I think um, I don't want to spend my time doing things that I'm not good at and don't enjoy because there's way too much to do during the day that I find fascinating that to spend my energy doing things that, I don't, I try to give to someone else to the best of my abilities. Um, So the first two things that I did as a founder was I hired an accountant and I hired a lawyer because if I am caught dead in QuickBooks, you know, fixing my balance sheet, something has gone very wrong because that is not my strong suit and um, it's not something that I want to be doing. So I think delegating is really important. I also think, and I think what comes with that is giving people the freedom to work um, in a way that makes most sense to them. So what's worked for me is, um, and let me back up. I I was like that a little bit too much. And then I had some experiences with employees who were, um, I wouldn't say taking advantage, but not putting in their full weight because I wasn't checking in with them on a regular basis. I was, I was I was expecting that they were getting the work done and that was a false assumption. And so now what I do is I still give people the freedom, but I say every two weeks, we're going to have a serious check in on, on how you've made these goals. And I make sure that my expectations are aligned with our agreements. In other words, when, when I give someone a task, I make sure, um, we, we mutually agree on when I can get that deliverable. Um, and when that will be done, as opposed to just, can you work on this? Oh, thanks. Keeping things light. And then meanwhile, a month later, they're like, oh, I thought that this was going to be due in six months. And it was unclear. So just being very, very clear about what you're needing and delegating, I think has been really helpful. I think there's no um, over-communication that's possible. I think the more you can communicate and talk through um, what's going on, the better. And I think beyond that, it's just spreading the word as much as possible to anybody that will listen. Because what you don't know is that when you're, you know, talking to a waitress, her sister is a graphic designer who you want to hire and she'll put you in touch with them. Right. So assume that everybody is willing to help you out and will be interested in, um, in what you're working on.
1: You know, that there's a few things in there that leap out at me. Yeah. Um, Outsourcing and delegation, obviously very important. And the point I was making is that when I did this the first time, I was following traditional models that just didn't work for me. And one of the points I was looking for us to get out of our conversation for our listeners to gather is that this is an individual journey that has to do with how each entrepreneur, each founder takes this journey from solopreneurship to leverage. The way I leverage is I have certain people and certain companies who are contracted with me to perform certain very, to actually manage certain areas of my business that I don't want to be involved in. Now, however, I don't follow the rules of what that means. I'll give you one example. I have a CPA who specializes in small business entrepreneurial tax planning and tax management. And understands it both from the perspective of that individual being the owner of their business and being the individual who is the member of their limited liability company. So they're able to do the taxes on both sides.
2: Exactly. That, yep. being,
1: that being said, I do my own bookkeeping.
2: Oh, interesting. Okay.
1: Here's a reason why. Uh, I reserve the right to change my mind on that at any point in the future when And if my business becomes so complex that it's more than I can do, however, myself logging in once a month and having that hands-on feel for how my money's coming and going means a lot more to me than looking at pie graphs that somebody else created.
2: I completely, yep, I completely understand. And that's the yep. beauty of entrepreneurship is that um, for me, the the pie graphs are more than enough. And I probably dig into way more detail on other aspects that that you might not. And so it's really choose your own adventure, which has been, honestly, as, as selfish as this sounds, um, what I've loved about it is that I am the one who gets to make these decisions, right? And yes. if there's, you know, no, no one's telling me you need to be working on this accounting or you have to be writing this contract because that's my sort of prerogative. And it's one of the most freeing, beautiful things of being a founder is that you, you have complete control.
1: Yeah. And that can actually take you to places beyond the, the internal logistics of your business. Now, Our listeners know that I am the creator of the podcast reach system, which is our unique and proprietary system for working with entrepreneurs. To launch your podcast is your key networking client attraction, celebrity expert branding tool. I have been hosting this show we're on right now, the business creators radio show for eight and a half years. Every so often I get my guests of all people who feel that I somehow might've asked them for coaching on how to run my podcast when I didn't, who will say, you know, you should really consider having a video side of it because people like to watch video. And you know what my answer is? <laughs> I say, I don't want to.
2: Yeah. And, 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 and,
1: the beautiful part is, is the owner, you can say that I just don't want to. Right. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't care what the logic is behind it. I just don't feel like it.
2: Exactly. And you know, that has a lot of, um, stress too because particularly i found this mostly when i was raising money um i spent about a month asking for feedback on my pitch deck and at some yep. point it just got way too much because one investor would say you have too much text on your on, on this slide one investor would say there's not enough text there's not enough context uh-huh. um, right and so you're getting all this mixed information and at some point you have to choose who the people are that you're going to listen to and what you're going to change on. And even, it's not even person dependent. It could be, um, there are things that I feel really strongly about that everybody tells me to do that I that I choose not to. Um, so it's not a specific, necessarily like a person, but it's just, yeah, you have the autonomy to make those decisions.
1: Right, and, here, and here's another thing when it comes to, Advice. Uh, I have uh, what I like to call my council of ministers, which uh, consists of approximately 25 people uh, who I consult on a variety of personal and professional things. I bring in different people depending on whatever it is I'm trying to process. So, uh, the thi- and the thi- so if somebody says, for example, and this actually happened to me when I was in the process of having my professional photography done. My photographer had given me my album of my proofs. And I made some posts on social media just to keep the buzz going about my rebranding that I had the proofs and wow, narrowing this down to 38 was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Cause it was, yeah, I was up half the night narrowing down 161 photos to the 38 I was taking with me.
2: Oh, um, And
1: and some and some folks began to comment on that thread in ways that it was clear that they that they had seen this album. So then somebody else jumps in and says, well, gee, uh, you know, it's kind of funny you didn't show your link to me. And my response was the very fact that you wrote that explains why.
2: Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's so funny. Yeah. If you don't
1: understand this point, then there's nothing I can do. Right. Uh, So the point, so the point being is you don't have to take word for word advice from everybody. And if you do consult a range of people, you are going to get those different points of view going back to your slide deck. This person says it's too hot. This one person says it's too cold. This other person says it's just right in terms of number of words or lack thereof. Yep. So I will... Consult sometimes seven different people who I know are going to give me seven different points of view. The reason being is I want to see those seven points of view and I want to select the best from the best. Right. So, another thing that's not a good idea is if I end up proceeding in, in, in something a certain way and I don't do it exactly the way you recommended I do it and it doesn't work for me, uh, don't ask me to process that with you because the bottom line is it didn't work. I moved on. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and I believe that you either, you either earn or you learn. And when you learn, you earn.
2: Exactly. And I think, you know, a slippery slope that I've gone down is this confirmation bias, right? Which you kind of were getting at, which is that you ask a lot of people for advice and the the person who maybe agrees with you most, uh, You'll take the advice from them. And I think that can be slippery. But I also think simultaneously that even if that happens, that also the most valuable learning experiences you can gather are to fail every once in a while, right? Or all the time in many cases. And so um, almost nothing that we do on a daily basis is irreversible. Yep. And so the more that we can be comfortable with just throwing things at the wall and see what sticks, um, some things don't, some things do, um, um, some things we need to apologize for that's okay. And that's sort of, that's part of the fun of this phase that we're in is that we don't have, we don't have a huge amount of followers yet. And even when we do, we're human and we're going to test things out that might not land.
1: Sure. I mean, you have. You have top 10 artists who release albums that flop.
2: Exactly.
1: You have Academy Award winning actors who take on projects that turn out to be unmitigated disasters.
2: That's a very it can,
1: good point. It, it happens all the time. It doesn't, it's not a reflection on that person or their skills, their talents, or how well their reputation carries necessarily. In fact, I give them credit for being willing to try. Yep. That's how I, it's how I look at it. So without having access to the entire supply chain, how can you measure the impact of the work you're doing?
2: Oh, that's a really good question. Are you saying how do we how do we give these product scores?
1: Well, yeah, let's 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 pivot to that because I know that part of what you're doing is looking to create the nerd wallet for climate change sustainability and yep. I, and help your followers and your viewers understand what are some really great companies? Like I like I see on your website, some of your wise guides. Exactly. Uh, so let me go to the laundry t- detergent here real quick and see if mine's on there. Okay. I do use BioClean and let's see here. Okay. You didn't mention method. I won't ask you why, but uh, actually I have used a few of the ones. Oh, seventh generation is good. Oh yeah. So yeah, this is a really good resource. I just wanted to take a a quick sidebar and show people that you can get a lot of great recommendations on how to work with more sustainable products that are just like your daily life stuff. So without having access to the entire supply chain, how do you put this together?
2: It's really important question. What we do is scrape the public domain for anything that is, has been published online. And so that is anything from an sec filing to um, a sustainability report that was published to a press release, et cetera. Um, we also look at Amazon details pages, which actually yeah. share a lot more information than, than you might expect in terms of what is um, fair trade certified or, um, you know, cruelty free and things like that. And so, you know, without being in the manufacturing, on the manufacturing floor to see how the supply chain is, is being worked, Um, We obviously can't get a complete accurate view. Um, That's what life cycle analyses are for, but those take, you know, three to six months and are prohibitively expensive. I'm talking hundreds of thousands of dollars to then get it certified by a third party. So what our value add is, is we're coming in at a lower price point at a faster rate saying we can get you um, enough information that will, um, That will determine the score so we're not claiming to say we know every single thing about this product but the more that companies share the more transparent they are the better off they will be because we have more to work with and so part of this mission is also by default encouraging these companies to publish more data and we've had companies come forward to us and say oh i think you forgot to include you know a b and c data points and we say you know we can't take your word for it, right? We can't trust that you're telling us everything that's that's valid. So if you want to publish it somewhere um, in a place that lives online, we're, we're happy to incorporate that information. But otherwise, um, we can only take information that you felt comfortable sharing to the world. And we, we don't right. see a reason why companies wouldn't do that.
1: Right. So you've heard me twice in our conversation met mentioned Method brand laundry detergent, specifically the Beach Sage scented that my cats really love the wall in when i wash your blankets and i noticed that at least as of our conversation here i don't see it on your website and i said i wouldn't ask you why because i don't want to date this episode or make it relevant or irrelevant as we go in the future i actually made that non sequitur to illustrate a point which you followed up on perfectly is that this information can be fluid in the subject to two things number one additional information becoming available and changes in the products themselves that may move them from a no to a yes and vice versa.
2: That's exactly the case. And that's such a good point that we don't talk about enough. We've gotten a lot of interesting feedback that says, well, what happens after, why wouldn't someone just look at your your browser extension once and then never see it again? And to your exact point, our algorithm is constantly changing as we incorporate new information. We're reading academic studies that were published two months ago. So we are still, you know, we're always finding new information to inform our, our algorithm. And then not to mention the other aspect is that these products are always changing. And so we imagine that on a monthly basis, um, our, our ratings will completely shift. And, and if they're not, then we're not doing a good enough job.
1: Right. There's a difference between yes, no, and not right now. Yes. And, anyone, and any one of those can be applicable to any situation, as long as the rights and sovereignty of all people involved are respected. It's, been my, it's been my view since I was but a youngster. I also believe in the phrase, and I, and I got this from my own uh, language and influence mentor, speaker Paul Ross. And I mentioned this in my book, Groundhog Days, an event, not a business strategy, and credited to him. The power of the phrase up until now. Up until now, it has been the case that X, but now I claim my knowledge, wisdom, abilities, skills, dedication, whatever it is, to, and then state your result. So I could say, you know, I'm always going to be alone. I'm never going to find myself a good lady. I keep running into all these skeezers. <laughs> right. So that's so that right there is hauling myself before the court of history time and time again. And essentially declaring, as in in the declarative statements, I ain't never going to find no good woman. Now, I could say up until now, it has been the case or up until recently, it had been the case that I attract all these bad fit women and the relationships have been disasters. But now I claim my knowledge, my wisdom, the lessons of my experience, my desire and my willingness to take the steps and perform the actions that will deliver to me my woman with whom I can co create experiences the two of us will enjoy together in every way.
2: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I have some good examples of that. I think one is people will ask, you know, do you incorporate um, microplastics or do you localize? Um, solutions so that your, you know, your rating, Adam, in Las Vegas is different than mine in in Denver because of the water table and and all these. And that's not yet, you know, up until now, we haven't been able to do that, but we absolutely will. Another example is people always ask, you know, can my rating be different? Because I actually care mostly about animal cruelty and I don't believe in climate change. So that's not an issue for me. And that is, we will never do that. Um, so that's not that's not a technical shortcoming that we have. We would be able to to do that right now. It's that we believe that it is our job as Finch to do the hard heavy lifting and to understand what what uh, attributes make the most difference. Um, and so it's great that you care about animal cruelty, but when you're buying, um, you know, when you're buying a dishwashing detergent, that's, that doesn't matter. And so it's our job to tell you when you're buying this category of products, this is what you should pay attention to. And these are the biggest impacts. Um, so it's been fun to sort of parse out as we grow, what we're willing to incorporate over time and what things um, we're just not all about.
1: Precisely. Yeah, there are different reasons why people Adopt veganism as a dietary lifestyle, for example. Uh, with me, it was a combination of I saw the impacts on my health that other forms of dietary lifestyles were having upon me, and uh, I saw some films, and I just could not support that any further.
2: Yeah. So
1: exactly. they, so that, so there's the trope that you see out there, and you see this expressed in the meme uh, all the time. It says, "How can you tell if someone's vegan?" Give them five minutes and they'll tell you and won't shut up about it.
2: Exactly. Yeah. That
1: is so so not my experience. Totally. What I get, what I get is, I'll be at a restaurant with folks and I will have a couple questions for the server about how to modify an order to just simply leave some things out. Hmm. I won't even say the reason why. I'll just say, could you please leave the cheese off? Or, uh, I. Does your garlic bread come with butter? Oh, well, in that case, hold the garlic bread. That sort exactly. of stuff, right? Simple stuff. And then I'll get, are you vegan? Yeah. And then they start with their 25 questions like, dude, I just asked them to not give me the garlic bread. I mean, as this wasn't an, an invitation for um, an inquisition here, right?
2: And, uh, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and I don't, and I don't want to hear about, uh, your views on how eating hamburgers is actually good for the cow population. And I don't want you attempting to quote the Bible. And by the way, that one is uh, a complete misrepresentation of what the Bible actually said. I think people know which one I'm talking about, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And bottom line is I never even asked you. So (laughs) if you'd like to continue this conversation, I will happily tell you where the various components of your chicken Alfredo came from. Or right. you could just enjoy it,
2: right? you. Got it. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I, I say, I say, I say to people all the time: if, uh, if uh, we ended up in a steakhouse, and most steakhouses these days actually have vegan options, uh, they have some cauliflower steaks that are to, to that uh, they're certainly to fight for, if not die for at least. And uh, if you, if I was sitting across from somebody and they had their sixteen ounce New York strip steak, medium rare, with their loaded baked potato and their dairy ice cream with the dessert already served along with the entree, if I even said anything at all, it would be, did they cook that to your satisfaction? Right. Because I do you, you do, I mean, I do me.
0: You do you. I do you,
1: yeah, I do you, you do me, right? And um, rather than I do you and you do me, because that's not how it's supposed to work. Yeah. And uh, And if we set the example for what we believe in, it may attract natural curiosity. Now, being an example and giving people something to ask questions about is different from uh, tolerating interrogation when you're just trying to enjoy a meal. Right. But if I show you that it's a sustainable thing, and also the final point I want to bring up, and this is why I love what you do with Finch so much, is I've seen over the past 10 years how organic sourced products and things like vegan restaurants have become so much more common. Yep. Because the market drove it, telling people, "Oh, you have to do it this way because that other way is evil and you're contributing to destruction if you do it, and you're a bad person everything else." You know that's that's going to motivate the extension of the middle finger and they're going to do it even harder. Completely. However, if you create their you create the reasons for them to consider And you support sustainability in the marketplace and make it available to those who want it. And you help to create the market. That's going to spend the money on it. Then you find yourself in a situation where if you want to go to a vegan restaurant, you got 20 options. Instead of, instead of going to TGI Fridays and hoping for the best.
2: Yeah. For maybe one and a half options.
1: Yes. So what I love about what you guys are doing is through the wise guides how you show the market that if you do care about climate change, sustainability, whatever your kick is and you want to order the paper towels or the shampoo and conditioner or the trash bags that are most in alignment with that, you have a resource that will help promote that which they support and therefore create the economies of scale and sustainability that'll allow it to stand on its own in the marketplace. I mean, I keep I keep mentioning the method laundry detergent, but the fact is, is it's available on every shelf and every store and every grocery store in America is because when Whole Foods or wherever introduced it, people ran and flocked to it.
2: Right, exactly. And so I think that's another important point um, that I wanted to add is we're not only a resource for the most sustainable, but we also do um, our own internal ratings and use Amazon reviews for what the best function and quality is. So in other words, we would never recommend a toilet paper brand that's made out of bamboo, but it feels like sandpaper because who who wants that, right? And oh,
1: so, I, I know a few people, but that's a separate conversation.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so we're we are um, we're making sure that we're, we're debunking the idea that in order to buy sustainably, you're, um, you're sort of giving up functioning quality in some way. We're, we're finding the best of the best with no, um, no consolations.
1: Yeah. And, and again, what you're doing is, and this was the reason for my fairly long soliloquy a moment ago, is you are supporting sustainability and economies of scale in the marketplace to make these products more available because they're only going to become available if people buy them. Right. You're only only going to have 20 vegan restaurants in your town if a lot of people are looking for them and will go patronize them.
2: 100%.
1: Yeah. So that, to me, is what inspires me most about what you're doing with Finch. Now, we are actually uh, near the top of our time here. So what I wanted to do is actually turn the floor over to you one more time. It may be a bit of a recap. There may be some stuff that I missed as we went through here. Your website is www.choosefinch.com. So when people visit that URL, what do they have to look forward to? What should they be looking for? And how can you be of service to them in terms of how you make a difference for your community market and audience?
2: Great, great. Thank you for this. So when you go to our website, you can see, I think, three sections that are important. The first is the wise guides, as you've mentioned, where um, we right now have around 20, but over time we'll have all 85 categories that we've rated. And then we'll have, you know, when we have hundred categories rated, it shows you what you need to know. And so when you're shopping in person or don't have the browser extension downloaded, um, you're able to see, okay, toilet paper, these are the most important um, impacts and what I should avoid. Um, The other portion is the blog. So we write about everything from is shopping online or in person better and what's the environmental implications of, you know, crypto, et cetera, et cetera. So for any updated, um, things that you're thinking about with sustainability, um, our blogs are a great place to find that. And we have a newsletter every Friday that sort of recaps the blogs that we've written. Those are the two. And then on January 25th, we um, will launch a browser extension, which will go into, it works on Amazon. You download that and you'll see 85 of our categories. You'll click on a product and we will show you um, what that score is and then three alternatives. And so I would suggest that anybody go to our website and download that browser extension.
1: Right, precisely. So I really appreciate you sharing that with us. I know that I will be visiting this website. It's got a resources that i look for i want more sustainability i want to do my part and whether or not you quote unquote believe in climate change or not it's sort of like questioning somebody who has deep religious beliefs if you're an atheist what is the harm if they believe in god
2: exactly what
1: what is the harm because there and there are folks who, who are religious who will respond to atheists and say well you know what i can't tell you for sure there's a god or not but I would rather hedge my bets and believe and find out there is one or rather than deny it and find out there is one and be up a crick.
2: Completely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. So my office supervisor, Princess Alessandra Francesca, is signaling to me to let me know that our time is up. And Lizzie Horvitz, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in so many ways in education.
2: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here and I'll talk to you soon.
0: We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.